Welcome back to another episode of Bitches and Stitches. I'm one of your hosts, Danielle. And I'm Lulu. And today we are doing part, kind of a part two. It's definitely a part two. It's definitely a part two. Okay. This is part two. So just kind of recapping, you know, last episode we talked about Gabby Petito and missing white woman syndrome. Um, which if you hadn't listened to that episode yet, I would strongly advise you to pause on this one, go back and listen to that one and then hit, hit resume. Yeah. You don't want any spoilers or anything. I mean, come on guys. (laughs) So again, heavy episode, probably not as much joking as you guys are used to, but we promise we'll bring you guys something fun next week. This is just something that we definitely feel like we need to finish discussing. And it was definitely a part tour. It, we, we had it, to do two parts. It, it was, yeah. I mean, I think the last episode was like almost two hours long. And... Yeah, without editing, definitely like <laughs> two hours. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, missing white women syndrome was actually uh, a phrase that was developed by a journalist, uh, an African American female journalist named Gwen Eiffel. Um, she's the one who kind of penned coined what's the word I'm looking that was for? that was good um established established the term missing white woman syndrome and a, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that whenever there is an upper class no middle to upper class um white female it's all over the news we hear all about it uh, we heard about gabby petito we heard about elizabeth smart natalie holloway Lou just brought to my attention Amelia Earhart. Hell totally yeah, we'll get into it. Totally forgot about her. Totally forgot about her. <laughs> we'll get into but, it. But, um, you know, we hear about all of these cases, but what about people of color? Mm-hmm. We don't hear too many stories. We don't see too many headlines. And a lot of times they are not even compared the same way a, mm-hmm. a white woman compared to an African American um, or just anybody of color or of a different race. A lot of times with a white woman, you're going to hear she was a great student. She, you know, adventurous lo- was or... adventurous. She volunteered her time at homeless shelters or yeah. whatever the case may be. But a lot of times you will end up hearing... Oh, well, they were addicted to drugs or when, right. when talking about a person of color or of a different race, they were addicted to drugs. They had been in and out of jail. They had a mental issue, like a mental disability. When it's a child, like they... In and out of foster run, homes. In and out of foster homes. Drugs, running yeah, away. Like, things like that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I got so many things going on in my brain. I, I know. It's always a lot. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> so to kind of paraphrase missing white woman syndrome that's that's pretty much what it is we're we are always going to hear about upper to uh, middle to upper class white females Mm -hmm. more or ever right yeah (laughs) at all um compared to women of color or of other races so i think the biggest thing that I want to kind of like touch on is Mm -hmm. in no way are we trying to minimize the cases that have to do with, you know, white Americans. The goal is really to just try to find a place of equality. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's not like we're minimizing the fact that these cases were so, so broadcasted on news media and everybody knew about them. Good. We just want that same thing, that same attention for people of color. Absolutely. 
And, you know, it's it's not fair that these cases get swept under the rug. Yeah, no. Because um, that's essentially what it is. Mm-hmm. We know so much about someone like Gabby Petito. Not only was she a missing white woman, but she also had a following. She had a YouTube. She was active on Instagram, TikTok, yeah. all kinds of social media. You know, just because you don't have a following or you're... Mm-hmm a different color or race or whatever the case may be. Every case should be treated equally. Exactly. Um, First and foremost, uh, I know we've kind of gotten into things, but I just want to apologize to everybody if I sniffle and cough a little bit. The allergies are kicking my ass. I know. It's the first day of spring. Well, the day we're recording is the first day of spring. (laughs) I've never had allergies this bad, but they're getting me. Mm. I mean... I was, when I was at, because I volunteered at the fire department, when I was at the fire department the other night, I was sneezing all, I couldn't sleep because I was sneezing so much. Oh boy. And I've never had that. So this is a shocker for me. Oh, you're getting old. <laughs> I'm getting old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I just wanted to put that out there because you'll probably hear it. But um, as you guys know, we talked about Gabby Petito last week. We brought up the missing white woman syndrome. Danielle recapped that just in case you hadn't listened or forgot about it. So we're definitely going to go into, we're going to go into the missing white woman syndrome a little bit more to a little bit of a greater extent. And then we're going to hand, we're going to cover missing and murdered indigenous women and children, as well as two spirited. There you go. (laughs) Oh, sorry. If you had listened to our LGBTQ plus episode, you know, uh, Lou did bring up two spirited. And it is a Native American term that is used. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sh- she promised, but I delivered. <laughs> Look, <laughs> we're a team. I know. Okay? I, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I'm totally fucking with you. So two-spirited, it's a term used within some indigenous communities encompassing cultural, spiritual, sexual, and gender identity. The term reflects complex indigenous understandings of gender roles Spirituality and the long history of sexual and gender diversity in indigenous cultures. So kind of like how we have LGBTQ plus, mm-hmm. they just use the term two spirited. So yep. perfect. So we are going to get into <coughs> missing, murdered indigenous women, children and two spirited individuals as right. well in this episode. Perfect. Greatly covered. Thank you. Appreciate that. Oh, sorry. I got too far away. Thank you. No, you... <laughs> she's like... <laughs> I'm um, She's like... Again. She, <laughs> she did it again. <laughs> All right. So, we talked about Gabby Petito last week, guys. So, um, the case of Gabby Petito uh, almost overnight became an above-the-fold trending topic. We all know that because out of nowhere, it just kind of just happened. And at the same time, there was a lot of anger that was cropped up among individuals on social media drawing attention to the countless missing men, women, and children of color whose cases have largely gone underreported locally and nationally. I'm not saying that, you know, we're, 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 t- we're talking about missing and murdered indigenous women only. These people of cover, cover, color can include men and women mm-hmm. and children, of course. Most of them women, though. Um, so we're going to, I'm about to get into the list of over the last few decades of the missing white women that got national attention. As you mentioned, Natalie Holloway and Lacey Peterson. Mm-hmm. There's, I, I don't even know if I'm saying this right. I, I hope I am. Chandra Levy. 
I think so. Chan- Chan- I don't I think, think it's Chandra. Sh- I think it's Chandra. Okay, Chandra Levy. Yeah. Lauren Spearer and Holly Bobo. Those are the ones that I've listed from the article that I read. So, as you know, like, that's why we're going over it. So, all of these cases were, like, all over national media. And, you know, looking way back, like, f- further into the... um further back, I can't even talk, was, like I mentioned to Danielle, Amelia Earhart and Amy Semple McPherson. So, I mean, that's just a few. That's not even all of them. You might have more. I don't know if you do. But that's just a few that if you mention those names every, like, you'll at least, if you're talking to a group of 10 people, at least two or three people know at least one of those people you're talking about. Oh, yeah. If not more. Definitely. So I think I had listed in the last episode and even at the beginning of this episode, just a a couple of other names that you hadn't mentioned. But yeah, I mean, when you're in a group of people, you're going to have at least, like you said, two to three people that are going to know, even if it's just a portion, Mm -hmm. maybe not in great detail, but they're going to know the name. They're going to know, oh, she was murdered or, oh, she was kidnapped. And then she was reunited with her family, you know. X yeah. amount of months later yeah. and, and things like that. But that happens all the time to not yeah. only white women, it happens to people of color all the time and mm-hmm. indigenous individuals as well. <coughs> but we don't know their names. No, you don't. We don't. Um, a crazy, so there's like this traditional stereotype that we're talking about, which is missing white woman syndrome. So at roughly the same time frame that Petita went missing... There was a 16-year-old by the name of Levy, I hope I'm saying that right, Mariella Rodas. And she disappeared from Londonderry Township, Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania State Police began a search, of course, but the case languishes in obscurity because one girl was white and the other one is of color. That one girl is Gabby Petito. Not saying that her case is any less than this, but we're talking about a 16-year-old girl that went missing and you completely forgot about her because you decided that this case was more important. Right. and That's fucked up. It is fucked up. And and just, I've never heard of her name. So do you have any information on her at all? I didn't do any further information just because... All of this research was a lot, and this article is a pretty lengthy article. Um, but I'm sure that I, if I did try to do any research on her, I probably wouldn't find much. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been in Pennsylvania. I am very uncomfortable when I like when I had to go over there go there for work. I did not like it. Well, okay. I mean, certain parts of Pennsylvania. But... I was in the weird, really iffy parts. So, okay, yeah. okay. All right. All but yeah, I mean, I just think it's shitty that you have one case that's that's been open, the police are researching it, and then as soon as the Gabby Petito stuff happens, they just drop it. Which is, def- in my opinion, showing favoritism, no doubt. To continue, uh, Daniel Robinson, he was a 24-year-old geologist from Temp, Arizona. He went missing June 23rd after leaving his work site in Buckeye. The, the case remains unsolved, and to date, there are no clues that explain why Robinson's vehicle was found in a ravine just miles away from his job. Wow. I mean, that's not even, like, that's miles away from his job. That's all the information I have. Yeah. That's all the information they gave on on um, 
shit, uh, Levy Mariella Rodas. Like, that's all I got. So why is this not being looked into? Yeah. Or at least I, I can't I can't say that it's not being looked into. I would hope that it's being looked into, but why is it not receiving the type of attention? You're literally segueing into the next part about, like, national attention. But even local. Right. I mean... Even local. Even local. And, and yeah, definitely, I would I would hope that, at least where she was from in Pennsylvania, that those people are attempting to do whatever they need to do to find her missing, missing posters, billboards. Yeah. Getting out into the community, but... I'm, I'm sure we probably would have heard about it by now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, FYI, if you hear crying, it's the dogs. We kicked them out this episode. Yeah, and they kept trying to hijack. outside of the door. So They they tried to hijack our last episode, so. Well, yep. Yeah, know. she's not very happy. <laughs> but yeah, so um, as far as dominating national attention, that's like the, the next subtopic, right? So this one, some 46% of missing person cases in 2020 were not white Mm -hmm. based on FBI statistics. Yet the news covers only about one fifth of missing persons cases involving minorities. So to go along with what you just said, Mm -hmm. as of, so there are 543,018 people that were, were reported missing in 2020. And nearly 40% of those people are people of color. Now, black Americans make up about 13% of the U.S. population, Mm -hmm. but they make up about 35% of the missing people. You would think that there would be way more national attention. But unfortunately, like I said earlier, automatically law enforcement assumes that if it's a child, a lot of times they assume they're runaways. If they're right. adults, that they're involved in some sort of criminal activity. Right. So, again, it's like their cases are being swept under the rug. So, I'm not the type of person that's going to ever, like, hold anything against you or judge mm-hmm. you for something that might have gone on in your past. You might have had a lapse in judgment. You might have gotten into the wrong crowd. White people can get into the wrong crowd too. Uh, exactly. Or have laps of, you know, or just laps of judgment or yeah. whatever. Like, yeah. do something stupid with your friends and all of a sudden you're arrested. Like, right. it doesn't matter yeah. what the color of your skin is. It can literally happen to anybody. So why, if 35% of these missing people are of, are black americans why are why are we not hearing anything about it it doesn't matter if they were involved in some sort of criminal activity or shit if a kid runs away but your child is known to come back and this time they didn't come back exactly something's wrong something is majorly wrong now there are times where people run away and then they yeah, stay I away. mean, yeah, not saying like Absolutely. that doesn't I'm, happen. But as a parent, I would think that you would know, okay, my kid, I know I have issues with my kid running away. They always come back. Right. And they don't come back. 
and a month goes by mm-hmm. or six months goes by and then a year goes by. Something is fucking wrong. Yeah. And the police really need to take these cases and and like really take what the parents have to say in con- into consideration. Yeah. That's a lot of times, you know, where even filing a missing persons report, 48 hours. I'm right. not waiting fucking 48 hours if I know that person inside and out. Exactly. Exactly. You're going to take my missing persons report now. Right. I'm not waiting 48 hours. I just think that it's ridiculous that things aren't the same for right. everybody. Right. And they should be. <laughs> so I definitely think that um, going based off what you said, all the, the stuff we've gone over so far, it's a group effort, right? So there is no one department that we can blame. All right. We can hold them all accountable. So police, news, government. If they're not all on the same page, if they're not all trying to their best to make sure that everyone is created created equally and they put that information out there for people to hear, then it's just not going to happen. But they all seem to be on the same page when it comes to missing white women. And And I have a quote Karen Drum, a writer with Washington Monthly, has reported on missing persons cases. She said, and I quote, According to a cable news employee who was willing to state the obvious on an anonymous basis, this employee said, We showcase missing, young, white, attractive women because our research shows we get more views. This is about beating the competition in advertising dollars. Fuck your competition and your advertising dollars, though. That is the problem. Every Everybody is so fucking greedy that, okay, well, so so what's going to get us more money? Reporting mm-hmm. this, white, this white woman in her early 20s who's attractive yeah. or talking about the, you know, this African-American teenager who, or, or let's say... Same age as Gabby, right? Yeah, yeah, 22. We'll, we'll, we'll just use that. So are we going to report Gabby missing, who is traveling across country, or are we going to report, you know, this other 22, 23-year-old African-American woman who's missing, who... Goes you, to work every day. You, yeah. Has the same routine every day. Yeah. I mean, let's say it was me. Oh, yeah, you've got, you really should switch up your routine because one of these days something will just go snatch you. And I'm going to be pissed. Okay, Danielle. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm going to be pissed. My routine is the that same every would, day. That would be when I say, I'm not fucking waiting 48 hours. <laughs> She's not at her job. She's not in my basement. Something's <laughs> fucking wrong. Okay. Okay, maybe I do need to switch up my routine because you know everything I do. <laughs> I mean, just take me for example, right? So I go to work every day. After I get the kids on the bus, go to work. I work. I come home. That's it. I don't do anything. I don't ever go out. I don't do anything out of the ordinary. I stop to get gas. Maybe stop at the grocery store on my day off. Maybe get a haircut on my day off. That's it. You'll you'll even see me at work on my days off. It's bad. But She's a that, workaholic. The, but it's imagine bad. that happening. Like, put me in that position. Our listeners. I'm half African-American. If that were me and this same thing happened, you know, like, and if it was your, one of your family members and this same thing happened, if this was your sibling, if this was your step parent, if this was your parent, who gives a fuck who it is? If you're close to this person, it matters. If you're not close to this person, it should still fucking matter. 
Absolutely. Like I said in the last episode, and I, I was one of these people as well, everybody was so invested in the Gabby Petito case. But, for example, if Lou, if Lou went missing one day, I don't know if anybody would hear. It would, I don't think it would get national attention. Right. You know, we'd yeah. be, I know I would be like, I gotta get all these, I'd have a million missing posters. <laughs> you want to know? FYI. The <laughs> only reason, if my, if my case, like if I went missing, the only reason that my case would become maybe locally national, not national national, but locally on the news is because I'm a volunteer fired. Like I'm, I volunteer at the fire department. Oh yeah. Yeah. That would be the only reason. That would be the only reason. And I work closely with law enforcement. But yeah. that would be, even then, I don't even know. Yeah. I really don't. I mean, I know a lot of people within the fire service, so they would be concerned. And if people know people, that's when things happen. But what happens when you don't know people? What happens when Nothing. you have no connections? Nothing. What happens when you're just a regular, like, middle class, poverty line, poor, homeless person Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. You're going to get swept under the rug. Because you don't matter. That's my motto for tonight, apparently. Swept under the rug. Just swept under the rug. And it's so fucking frustrating. And it's very, uh, yeah, it's very frustrating. It's very unfortunate that we don't, that we don't treat people the same. I mean, it's like the golden rule. Treat others how you want to be treated. I would want, I would want everybody to do anything that they possibly could to find me. Whether I was dead or I was alive, I would want everybody to do everything that they possibly could to find me, to find you, anybody. Right. It right. doesn't matter who you are, your age, your color of your skin, your cultural beliefs, or I'm sorry, your your cultural background, your religious beliefs. Right. It doesn't fucking matter who you are. Right. And as much as I dislike the religion, I the cult that I came from, the people that were members of those that cult, I'd still care if somebody went missing. Oh, I'm sure. If I see you on the side of the road and you're homeless, and if you, if I see you and I give you the, the last few dollars that I have in cash, and I happen to stop at the, the Wawa or the 7-Eleven a few minutes later, and you're there buying booze, but then you go missing, I'd still fucking care. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't care what you do, who you are. It matters. Mm-hmm. I was going to say unless it's somebody, but I'm not going to bring that into it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't want to get political. <laughs> I thought you were meeting somebody else. Anyways. I mentioned two people just I lipped two people. Oh, I didn't see the second one, but that's okay. Oh, yeah. We don't need to know. About that. <laughs> okay, this isn't supposed to be a funny episode. Though. Sorry, guys. But no, it really does matter. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. I know we've, we've kind of been comparing. I know we said that we would also talk about um, missing, murdered, and indigenous women. Um, I- Oh my god! It's like I you can are see set. Your you you can oh. telepathic. We're um, telepathic. You know, uh, Lou did mention in the last episode that we had that in that same area that Gabby Petito was found in Wyoming between the years of 2011 and 2020, um, according to Wyoming's Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Task Force, mm-hmm. at least 710 indigenous people, mostly women and girls, yeah. have vanished. There is no trace of them. They right. have not found them dead. They have not found them alive. Here's my problem. <clears throat> How are we supposed to help find them when I couldn't even find their names? 
I couldn't find their names. I couldn't find when they went missing. I couldn't find shit. Right. About any of those 710 indigenous people who went missing. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, who have vanished. Yeah. How are we supposed to help find these people? Yeah. If we don't even know. And I I want to start a movement. 710. Oh, shit. 710. Girl, we gotta get, we gotta talk to some people. I got some people. Okay. 710. Don't forget that number. Always remember that number. You know, like in the fire service, when 9-11 happened, we always remember the number 343. That's how many firefighters and paramedics, EMTs, first responders died at 9-11. That's a thing in the fire service. I want this to be a thing among everyone. 710. That's how many people have gone missing in one Not area. Home, just in, one area. In just one like little area out of the entire United States of America. That is one area. Imagine how much more it would be yeah. if it were for the whole U.S. Oh, my God. That's just the U.S. Not even including other countries. Like, I mean, it's just, yeah. <laughs> Canada has its own shit, yeah. which we'll get into. But, yeah. whoa. So... I do have some information on missing indigenous women. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a statement that said, we put out a report in 2018, which found that law enforcement agencies were either not collecting race nor the ethnicity of victims. What? We found that database systems that would default to white. If we found that, that they would default to white if race and ethnicity weren't collected. So oh, you know how there's an option. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. They just so say when white you're, when you're filling out yeah. s- certain information and yeah. they need to know race. Yeah. That's why you got to fill that out. Why would you resort? Anyway. No. What were you going to say? <laughs> why would you resort to just white? It's like, it's almost as if people are just saying this is the race. Anyway. I mean, it seems simple enough, but it's obviously not because right. this is still an issue. Yeah. So it said that and then, or the fact that law enforcement would visually look at somebody and decide what their race and ethnicity is. Oh, that's bullshit. As a result, they're finding complete underreporting. Of course. Oh my god. So <laughs> I mean, people could look at you and it automatically I mean Puerto Rican. Everybody thinks I'm Puerto Rican. Everybody I was just about to say everybody <laughs> thinks you're Puerto Rican. Okay. <laughs> like and and there you go. All of a sudden you're now Hispanic or of a Hispanic background background yeah. when you're actually half black and half white. Yeah. <laughs> Ow. Are you okay? Yeah. I don't know what I just did with my headphone there. <laughs> her headphone like just almost took her ear off Ow. of her head. <laughs> yeah. So now all of a sudden you're Puerto Rican. Yeah. That's crazy. I Be- mean. All because of like, what do I think you are based off of what cops think? You know, yeah. Like, okay, I was like, I'm gonna say I, that I you're thought, this. I, you thought I, was I thought gonna... you were asking me, and I was like, "Bitch, you Irish? Uh, I'm not. Well, I'm I a little bit. I was gonna say I'm. I look white. <laughs> With her platinum blonde, yeah, she white. And her tattoos show up very well on her skin. Cause, she, she, because I'm white. She white. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, there is. It also this article also noted that, um. 
the same guy who was reporting about the, the underreporting. His name is Echo Hawk. Um, but wow, he, that is a pretty dope, right? fucking dope-ass name. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm I didn't so mention sorry. it earlier. I'm so sorry. Keep going. Echo Hawk. Did not mean to take away from the seriousness, but fucking A. I love that name. It's pretty dope, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Echo Hawk said that we hear stories of indigenous persons and those of color who attempt to report their loved ones missing. And officers will tell them, maybe she just ran away. Was she out drinking? Does she do sex work? Yeah. That is so fucked to just assume. You know, there. I mean, isn't that what they're best at in this situation? In this case? I mean, that just, it just seems that that's just the, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're fine. I was just going to say that I, I, I've been listening to a couple of podcasts um, since doing this research and um, I have found a few podcasts on missing murdered and indigenous women yeah um one is called we are resilient and mmiw true crime podcast and they just go over certain cases yeah of um missing indigenous people right not just women they go over those cases and there's not a lot to go on i mean some of their episodes are only like 15 minutes long well that shows and you know it's three it's three girls who who do this three women excuse me who do this podcast and and in one of the episodes that I was listening to I can't remember exactly which one it is right now off the top of my head but they were saying like as far as um being discriminated against because for whatever reason people think that um a lot of native american indigenous people are drunks um oh uh, they said something along the lines of like well did you check for them at the casino oh like my God. yo that wow if I'd have known that, I would have done like a statistics research as to which nationality is mostly seen at casinos. Because I can guarantee you it's not indigenous people. It's because they have started casinos. And, and, in, I, and in some, in some um, tr- certain uh, tribes of Native Americans, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure it's the Cherokee tribe. I'm I'm part Cherokee. Whoa. Who, like, they have a casino on their reservation. Do not quote me on that. If I am wrong, I will put the <laughs> right answer in the show notes. Um, but I want to say it's the Cherokee tribe. And so that's where some of these women are from. Right. That tribe. Right. And, you know, they've made comments, like I said, like, oh, well, did you look for them at the casino? Like, don't, fuck don't you. you. Th- like, first of all, don't you think that if there's a place that you know that your loved one or friend or tribal member could be, you would have already fucking checked there? Right. I feel like it's common sense. Like, yeah. what kind of fucking question is that? Yeah. And I do think, too, um, there's a lot of issues when reporting um, indigenous people missing or whatever the case may be. Because um, if you were on a, on a reservation, a lot of times that is going to get reported to the reservation yeah. police, which then they are not required to have to report it to local nah. law enforcement. I do and have that, information on that, though. Okay. I do. And I know I brought that up the last time in yeah. um, in the Gabby Petito case when we were talking about Frida Nose's gun. Yes. Um, her family reported her to the reservation police. So at that point, nobody's looking for her. Not the local law enforcement. 
um, in Montana where she was reported missing, even though she was in the state of Washington when she went missing. Right. So FBI is not involved. Local law enforcement isn't involved. But she is in the database of missing people. Right. That's that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. But so I don't, I know you did a lot of research on that. I don't, I don't want to call it a disconnect, but I don't understand why if things are reported. Right. To the reservation police. Yeah. Why are we not reporting it statewide? But. Right. That that could be a cultural thing. I don't no. know. You no, no, have no, no, the information no. I, yeah. on it. You let me know. We'll get into that I'm really quick. The, I'm going to shut the fuck no, up. No, you don't need to shut the fuck <laughs> up. You're fine. I'm just going to like finish this out when it comes to what Echo Hawk is saying. Oh, fuck. That man yeah. like, gives me chills. Dope, right? Um, <laughs> so Echo Hawk once worked with a family of a missing young woman where three days went by as law enforcement debated who had jurisdiction in this case what that's gonna segue into the jurisdiction part of what you just mentioned i'm how old was she uh no it did not say criminologists generally agree that the most important time and everybody fucking knows this because almost everybody i know has watched the first 48 am i right or heard of it uh yeah and that's why i don't understand why they make you wait 48 hours to um report a missing person but i'm gonna go ahead and stop and let you finish. <laughs> so so yeah that, that don't make no sense to it me. don't make no damn sense okay 60 minutes is all you're getting <laughs> and i'm reporting you to the police <laughs> so yeah so the criminologists agree that the most important time in search for a missing person is no more no more than 48 hours i'm gonna repeat that And say it louder for the people in the back. The most important time in a search for a missing person is no more than 48 hours. So why can we not report somebody missing until 48 hours? That is a very good question. Yeah. That I would love an answer to. Exactly. And after that... Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, even if you... The police think that you are quote-unquote, prematurely reporting somebody missing, you have already gone through a ton of steps to find that person. So whether it's an hour, six hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, like, it doesn't fucking matter. If you're reporting that person missing, like I said earlier, you know that person. You know their routine. Yeah. All you get is 60 minutes, bitch. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) You're reported missing, okay? So, I'm just saying, like, unless you're fighting a fire. Right. Okay. You would report me missing. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, I'm just saying. So, why why are we waiting 48 hours? Well, I don't know. And even if you are, quote unquote, prematurely reporting them missing and... An hour later, you're having to call the, the, the police and say, yeah, I found them. They came back. Or, you know, Big whatever. Whoop. The, okay. So they said that after that, after those 48 hours, the case is often a recovery mission, which I don't know if you or our listeners know what a recovery mission is, but within the fire service, a recovery mis- mission, we're searching for a dead body. We're not searching for somebody missing. So in the fire service, if they're missing for like a day or like, let's say that, cause you know, we have a boat where I am. We had a case where 
you know, there was the, these two passengers on a boat. They flipped, right? We, we were able to save one of them, but the other one, at that point, it's a, re- a recovery mission. Not comparing this to like what we do at the fire department, but in reality, a recovery mission means we're not expecting the best from this. 48 out, really? Here's the problem, though, is that some of these people, especially females, yeah, younger females that are are getting snatched up and and are being sold off into sex trafficking and shit. And yeah. it's like, no, I need you to find me. Like, yeah. I don't need you to, uh, oh, well, we're not going to expect the most outcome. I need you to fucking find me. I'm alive. I know. Okay? Halfway and across the world, y'all, need, y'all motherfuckers need to find me. Right, right. Okay? And there's, I know that there's a lot of questioning. Like, I think you brought it up earlier. Well, you did. You did bring it up earlier. When it came to, you know, within these tribes, right? Mm-hmm. Is there some reporting that's not happening? What's going on? I did do some research on that. And it says, um, the main thing that I highlighted was local law enforcement in areas around larger, not even just smaller, but larger tribal communities are typically under-resourced, including Oklahoma, New Mexico, and the Dakotas, who receive federal funding to support their otherwise under-resourced law enforcement agencies. Arkansas and Maine spend some of the lowest per capita on law enforcement in the nation. Moreover, due to the historical relationship between Native Americans and the federal government, Native Americans generally distrust federal and state justice systems. Federal and state justice systems, in the research I did, will try to have certain trainings for their law enforcement when it comes to these instances, but they still don't trust them. Why would they? Right. Why would they trust them? I'm- I, they're, they're, so they, in the past, they have, you know, they have reported these things, but nothing got done because in the one instance I told you about, they spent how many days fighting over whose jurisdiction it was? I feel like that is, that's just ridiculous because it's like, um, okay, is this a county thing? Is this a state thing? Like, how the fuck do you not know that? Right. Like, how do you that, not know that? That it should be like, that should be like cop 101. Fuck it. Why don't you all work together? It's called mutual aid. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Everybody work together. Fuck it. If there's a missing person, then you only have a certain amount of time to figure this shit out. Exactly. And it, it's, it's mind boggling. I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous because even if you were to find your loved one and they were, they just so happened, they, you found, they were dead. Foul play, accident, whatever the case may be. Right. It doesn't matter who you are, the color of your skin, everybody, your, your family and friends who are trying to find you, who have reported you missing, do they not deserve closure? Exactly. Especially everybody, if, especially if you're dead. Everybody deserves closure. I wanted closure mm-hmm. when it came to my mom passing. I didn't give a fuck if it made me feel horrible or better, but I needed closure because I needed to know. Yeah. Everybody needs to know. Yeah. Especially if they still haven't even found their loved one or their friend. They need that closure and nobody, nobody is willing. It's like, I... It's just mind boggling how... 
I feel like I know where you're going with this. It's like, it, it's like, it's like people just don't care. And they don't give a fuck unless it hits home. Yeah. And I'm sorry. And I, and I, you know, to an extent I can understand that like with really small things, right? Like something super minor, something that's not going to affect somebody to where their life is ruined by it. Right. I've been there. I'm like, well, I don't give a fuck. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we've all said that in oh, our heads. Yeah. And out loud. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and out, out loud. loud. <laughs> and it's okay. It's okay to feel that way. But when it comes to certain things that are major like this, they don't care because it doesn't affect them personally. And I just think that's just a fucked up way. Especially if you're part of the reason that this is happening. Mm-hmm. You're a member of law enforcement. You're a member of the government. You're a member who of, of, of an organization that should be doing something, but you're not. I'm sorry. This shit pisses me off. No, no, you're fine. You, you, you heard the last episode. <laughs> I'm be- sorry, guys, if it sounds like I'm being really quiet. I'm like really trying my best not to interrupt Lou. I listened to our last episode and I was like, God damn, Danielle. Like, I like much? it. It's, it's feisty. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it just shows the emotion. And, yeah. and it's, it's, that's how it should be, you know. Oh, boy. I what do you got think, over there? I just think that at the end of the day... As I've been saying this entire time, that everybody deserves to be treated equally. Yeah. And everybody's families deserve to have the same type of closure. Gabby Petito's parents, they got <coughs> their, you know, they wanted their closure. They, they got, got it. their closure. Now. Maybe not to the full extent not to that the they full wanted. Extent, but, you know, people like other names that we've discussed here, Elizabeth Smart, Natalie Holloway. These people all. Amelia Earhart. Amelia Earhart. <laughs> I mean, she's taught in the history classes. I know. How can we get an indigenous person to be taught in the history classes? I mean, see, I'm continue. I interrupted no, you. No, no, you're fine. We're just getting gay on interrupting. <laughs> okay, so and y'all just better get used to it. <laughs> We're both very passionate. We are, and I I view it as constructive criticism when people yeah. say maybe don't interrupt Lou as much, and I'm like, okay. And then I do it. It's <laughs> fine. Because so I do it too. So I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, everybody deserves, everybody wants their loved one that they are missing to come yeah. home or at least get closure if they are not going to be coming home. Right. That's they, it. I mean, that's what they deserve. That's what everybody deserves. Yeah. All these people. Equality. That went missing in 2020, 543,018 people. How, that's 543,018 families who have no idea where their loved ones are. And that's not even counting friends, acquaintances, right. workmates. Right. I mean, and not even all members of the family either. Right. Might as well triple that number. That's a lot of people. <sighs> so this is a lot, guys. Um, and I hate to do it, but I'm about to go even deeper. It's about to get... It, it's about to get... <laughs> It's about to get a little bit sad. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, <clears throat> so I have two different sources for this information. Do we Go need ahead. a trigger warning? Probably a trigger warning. This trigger warning um, is going to include abuse, physical, mental. It's also going to include a lot of uh, talk about deaths with children. Oh. Trigger warning, if you don't want to hear any of that. Um, skip ahead. Yeah, skip ahead. And, uh, can I, yeah. do I have to stay? Do you have to stay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. I don't want to do this by myself. This. Okay, go, go, go. All right. So I have two different sources. One of them is the New York times. And I liked that article, but I did want to stick with, um, 
this other article by Ian Mosby, <clears throat> which was posted on August 1st, 2021. The article by the New York Times was posted uh, July of 2021. So not too, uh, about a month apart. This, um, this, this occurred in Canada. So the recent discoveries of more than 1,300 unmarked Oh, sorry, guys. I have my papers. I've got a lot of papers, and I just hit the thing. Uh, the recent discoveries of more than 1,300 unmarked graves at the sites of four former residential schools in Western Canada have shocked and horrified Canadians. Indigenous peoples whose families and lives have been haunted by the legacy of Canada's Indian residential school system have long expected these revelations. Residential school survivor testimony has long been filled with stories of students digging graves for their classmates, of un unmarked burials on school grounds, and of children who disappeared in suspicious circumstances. Many of these stories were heard by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, which was formed in 2008, and collected testimonies from over 6,750 survivors. We're going to hear a few testimonies from some of those survivors. You might be kind of confused as to what, what I'm talking about. So there's this school system in Canada where they sent indigenous children, basically, which we'll get into. So the goal of these Canadian Indian residential school systems, um, it said it shared that of its U.S. Indian boarding school counterpart. What was the motto? Kill the Indian and save the man. More than 150,000 children were taken from their homes between 1883 and 1997, often forcibly, and placed in distant boarding schools where the focus was on manual labor, religious instruction, and cultural assimilation. The TRC final report concluded that Indian residential school system was an attempted cultural genocide. But the escalating number of recovered unmarked graves points to something even darker. Given that more than 1,300 graves have been identified using ground-penetrating radar at only four of the 139 federally-run residential schools, the current official number of 4,120 students known to have died in the schools will end up being only a fraction of the actual total. What? I gotta stop right there. <laughs> So you said 1883 to 1997, so over a hundred years. Yep. These kids were forcibly being taken to these schools. Yep. I mean, 1997, that's just, you were born in 98? A year before I was born. <sighs> what grade was I in? I think I was in like fourth grade. Yeah. This was still happening? And did you hear about it? Because I remember when I was in fourth grade... Or when I was like three or four, 9-11 happened. And I knew about it, right? I didn't know. Sh I did. This is the first time I'm hearing about this. Exactly. This is the first time I'm hearing about this. Like, that. The, the, uh, All right. I am at a loss for words. I know. Um, did you say they were making kids dig other kids' graves? I, I did. Yeah. That's disgusting. It gets worse. First off, hold it on. It gets worse. The whole thing is disgusting. Like, you don't take... So, oh, Lord. Jesus. You don't take p kids away forcibly 
and then put them in these quote unquote what is it a school residential schools school? is it like a boarding school it, it was run by the catholics oh continue with your story okay <laughs> so we'll get into a little bit of the conditions of the schools so <clears throat> the reality is that the conditions in the schools themselves were leading the contributor to the often shocking death rates among the students. Sorry, were the leading contributor. In 1907, Indian Affairs Chief Medical Officer Peter Bryce reported some truly disturbing findings to his superiors. After having visited 35 government-funded schools in Western Canada, Bryce reported that 25% of all children who had attended these schools had died. At one school... One school. That's a that's the number was sixty nine percent. Oh, sixty nine percent at one fucking school. Do we? So wait. All of them are indigenous children. Do we know how they died? I'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> Look at you. That's you just because I am doing so. I'm doing so good tonight. You are. You but are. Not with my stuff. Not with my own research. I can barely talk. Oh, um, you're fine. 69% of children at one school, you're saying all of a sudden, like, 69% of them just weren't there anymore? Or he knew that 69% of them... Died. Died? Yeah. 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 He knew that. So, <clears throat> it's a lot. So, while Bryce reported that the almost invariable cause of death given is tuberculosis, he by no means saw this as natural or inevitable. Bryce instead placed the blame for these appalling death rates on the schools themselves, which were poorly constructed, lacked proper ventilation, and frequently frequently housed sick students in the dormitories alongside their healthy classmates. He works. It gets worse. He, he works. He. I'm sorry. He works for who? The government. Um. Yeah. So Bryce is. Hold on. Indian Affairs Chief Medical Officer. Indian Affairs Chief Medical Officer. So he like works for the government because he went to all of the schools. Yeah. For the Canadian. Yeah. But he's a part of the Indian Affairs. Don't this. The facilities don't school. What am I trying to say? Aren't schools funded by the government for proper? Yes, we'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to just shut the fuck up and let you take over this episode, okay? No, okay. you don't need to let me take over. I love it. Keep it coming. Um, so Bryce wasn't alone in sounding the warnings about the schools. It wasn't just him. Throughout the system's 100-plus-year history, school inspectors, school principals, medical officials, and Indian agents repeatedly issued warnings about the unhealthy conditions in the schools. This archival record details the school's inadequate medical facilities, non-existent isolation rooms, and lack of school nurses. It also documents perennial... I don't even know how to say that word. What is it? Perennial... (laughs) perennially perennially yeah perennially yeah Yeah. i can't even read guys (laughs) perennially overcrowded and dilapidated buildings with poor ventilation and insufficient heating as well as the 
woefully inadequate nutrition provided to students, which we're going to get into that nutrition. I mentioned earlier that, you know, they co- they collected testimonies, right, from like 6,000-something survivors. Right. This is one of those survivors. This was the TRC that collected these uh, haunting testimonies from survivors. One of these being Andrew Paul, who described his time at the Aklavik Roman Catholic Residential School in the Northwest Territories. He said, and I quote, We cried to have something good to eat before we sleep. A lot of the times the food we had was rancid, full of maggots, stink. Malnutrition, of course, compromised children's immune systems, making them more vulnerable to TB and other infectious diseases. In the case of TB, studies have consistently shown that malnutrition of the type commonly described by Paul and other survivors lead to significantly higher mortality among infected individuals. So they're being served rancid food, if anything at all. And then they wonder why TB is, like, on the rise. Well, the problem is, is they list... And killing these children. Right. They list TB as the cause of death, when in reality, it's it's a domino effect. Yeah. It's a lack of... Lack of sleep. Lack of malnutrition. Like... Basics. Literally, (laughs) basics to human life. I mean, shit, who knows if they even got to see the sun. And, you know, uh, improper ventilation and things like that, that shit's just floating around and floating around and floating around that building. Yeah, and they have the infected with the un- uninfected. No isolation, no form of anything as far as isolation is concerned, other than probably the actual teachers. The outside. <laughs> like, exactly. So. <sighs> and, and you had also mentioned, too, um, like lack of heating and things like that. I mean, they're little yeah. kids. They're malnourished. They're and I, sick. The shit, ele- just the elements at low or just, you know, below freezing temperature. It gets fucking cold in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Like when I was, it makes me emotional. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Because when I was doing the research on this, they had pictures oh. of like the classes. So you see all the children. Yeah. You know what the sad thing is? Government and church authorities were well aware of the extent of hunger and malnutrition in the schools, both before and after Bryce's damning report. In the 1940s, for instance, a series of school inspections by the Federal Nutrition Division found almost universally poor food service in the schools in widespread malnutrition. These are school inspections. Like It's like a food inspector going to a restaurant. Well, number one, I I personally don't want to see those pictures, and I will not be posting them. But I won't I won't make you do that. Um, I I mean that's that's absolutely disgusting. It's not. Again, why can't we just treat everybody the same? Like right. this is absolutely ridiculous. It's twenty twenty two. I know that this you know happened. What. To some people might think, oh, this happened a long time ago. I'm sorry, 1997 was not that long ago. 2021, Danielle. This is when this shit is being talked about. And it's and it's insane. 20 years late, 20 plus years later. And like, nobody is going to get in trouble for this. Not a single no. person. They're probably all dead. 
If you think about it. I mean, maybe. They fucking got away with it. And if they're not dead, then they're still not going to get like, in trouble. And, like, how, how as a person can you just, like, sleep at night knowing that, oh, you went to school. I went to school that day and I just did my job. When you've got all I these, I starved like, a kid. Well, you got all these malnourished kids around you, all these kids who were infected with TB, who were cold, hungry, scared. And you fed them mag- maggots. And you took and you took them away from their families. Oh, I've got some shit on that. Well, here we go. <laughs> no, you can't look at you. <clears throat> so, by the 1940s, students with TB were sent from these residential schools to racially segregated Indian hospitals or TB sanatoria, typically without their parents' knowledge or consent, where they often remain for years. At a time. Not days, not weeks, not months, years. Indian hospitals and sanatoriums, like residential schools, were funded at a much lower rate, often just 50% of the per capita cost for indigenous, for non-indigenous patients in provincial and municipal hospitals and sanatoria. Meaning that the healthcare provided to indigenous child patients with TB was substandard. Indigenous patients, some as young as newborns, were also more likely to receive permanently debilitating surgeries and were kept in in the hospitals for much longer than non-Indigenous patients. This was partly as a result of the belief that Indigenous patients could not be trusted to follow a drug regime at home. What? And partly because the hospitals were an arm for the federal government's program of assimilation you heard it right, assimilation of indigenous people. The longer patients, and particularly child patients, remained in the Indian hospital, the more likely they were to lose their indigenous languages in connection to their home communities. So you're, you're basically trying to reform these children to make them forget who they are. Forget their heritage. Where they come yep. from. Their beliefs. I mean, the stories, like... I mean, that's, like, one thing I'll say is that, you know, it seems like a lot of Native American or indigenous tribes, excuse me, they have, like, their stories from their ancestors. And this is who we are. And this is why we are who we are. Right. And things like that. And it's like you ripped them away to make them forget forget everything about themselves. We're talking about newborns, children, like... I mean, that's disgusting. And then, so not only are you doing this, but then you have a family who is trying to recover from the fact that their child was stolen from them. And they don't know if or when they'll ever get to see them again. I hate to say this because I've said it throughout this whole story, but it gets worse. Well, I didn't think of what the next topic was, so. (laughs) Well, it's okay. So similar to... The common practices in the residential schools, the hospitals and sanatoria's administrators were lax in informing families about the conditions of a child's death, where they were buried or, disturbingly, that the child patient had passed away at all. Many families still have no idea what happened to loved ones who left for these institutions and have never returned. It's clear then that the claim of, of, of residential school apologists that these children only died of TB is ultimately an attempt to whitewash what many residential school survivors and a growing number of scholars, ourselves included, 
talking about this article, have characterized as genocide full stop. And it's... I... <laughs> it's just yeah, one of those things... Like, I'm done. I'm sorry, but... I'm done. And, and maybe I shouldn't even say this, but when are people going to learn that you can't stop a whole society of people to not exist anymore? Right. You've got people who have tried to eliminate indigenous people. Mm-hmm. You had fucking Hitler who yeah. tried to eliminate, get, eliminate, Jews. yeah, eliminate all of the Jews. Yeah, and people that weren't Aryan either. So, when are people gonna learn? And then you had slavery, and then you know yes, white people yes. trying to do that shit. But <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and yeah, then you have slavery and, 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 and that's another thing too, like, again, ripping people away from their families. Like, could you imagine being married to somebody? You got married. Okay. And then you were sold off to somebody else and you were ripped away from your partner or Mm -hmm. your brother or your sister, right. or your dad, or whoever. Yeah. Just ripped away. We probably will never see them again. Yeah. How fucked is that? Like, you can't even... You you can assume all day, like, oh my gosh, that would be so terrible. But until you're in that situation, you have no idea. None. None at all. I'm not... I have no idea. Lou has no idea. No. Like, what an awful... I, I just, I can't even imagine in any of those three instances I just brought up, slavery, the Holocaust, and then indigenous, indigenous people, ki- children. Yeah. Being children ripped away the from, sense, these, yeah. from their families to go to these schools to, to die. Pretty much. I mean, they were trying to wipe them out. And if they couldn't wipe them out physically, they would try to completely take their heritage culture away to where they basically were like robots. So they were like, you know where you came from, but you have to say fuck that. And you basically have to act like you're somebody else. And this horse shit. Absolutely. And I'm sorry. I know that was very deep. I know it was very sad. And I think the fact that, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is that nobody knows about it. Even schools don't teach it. This was in 90, this ended in 97. There's plenty of information. I got that, that was one article that I read. You know how much more information is probably out there for that? Oh my God. At this point, it's 2022, so there's loads more. Yeah, I'm sure. Why is this not being taught? It's not being talked about, it's not being taught. Exactly. Because it's not, (sighs) it's not going to get these money hungry, greedy ass, business executives yeah. i guess you could say corporate it, it's not going <laughs> to get them the ratings that they want yeah you shit do i want to talk about something that happened from 1883 to 1997 that's over and done with now or do i want to talk about um this yeah. this missing white person yeah this missing good, white female I mean, that's a good fucking point and i don't mean to sound insensitive clearly no, you're you're I don't mean yeah, to sound no. insensitive when i say that but that's just the reality almost, it's the reality of it and it's like eh, that's old news and it's so fucked 
because we should know about this. Why do we know about the Holocaust? Why were we taught about it in, in, in school, but we don't know about this? Exactly. We were taught exactly. about... Exactly. We were taught about slavery. And All of that like, shit. Why are we talking about this? Right. I do want to bring up, um, to be more on a positive note, this occurred on, like I said, the last episode. I'm so sorry if you hear papers rattling. Lots of research that was done. Um... <clears throat> This was May 4th, 2021. This is from the White House. And it's entitled, A Proclamation on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Awareness Day 2021. I will not read the whole article. There is a lot of information in it. I do want to read the last paragraph. Just to be on the positive side. I don't know how much this is going to help. But at least somebody is trying to take action somewhat. This was said by the president. And I quote. Now, therefore, I, Joseph R. Biden Jr., President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution and the laws of the United States, do hereby proclaim May 5th, 2021, as Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Awareness Day. I call on all persons sorry, all Americans, and ask all levels of government to support tribal governments and tribal communities' efforts to increase awareness of the issue of missing and murdered American Indians and Alaska Natives through appropriate programs and activities. Two things that I want all of our listeners to remember from this episode. Remember what I said earlier, 7-10, May 5th, 2021. Remember that day. Because that is the day of every year, and it is officially national, that we bring attention to missing and murdered indigenous persons and children and two-spirited. May 5th, guys. Mic drop. Mic drop. Boom. (laughs) No, I think that, um, I think that given the date right now, that there's probably a lot that we could do. I mean, at the end of the day, we're just two people. Yeah. Who are just yeah. trying to raise awareness, but you know, if if we can at least get one person who listens to us who at least goes and tells another person and another person, yeah. you know, then it's a domino effect. Hopefully, we can make a difference. I agree. In helping. And I hope that, you know, like we said the last episode, we know it's been deep. This episode has probably been a lot deeper, but like the biggest thing is recognizing and realizing that these issues do occur and they're just not there's no attention giving to them given to them we're trying to raise awareness to that mm-hmm. so i'm gonna just sort of paraphrase a little bit um i got some of my information from a usa today article and it's just a reminder to just kind of go with what we just said about raising awareness We've been here too many times. Tens of thousands of individuals, Black, Latino, Asian, Indigenous, LGBTQ, young, old, men and boys disappear every year. Some return to their families, some some remain unaccounted for, and unfortunately, some end up dead. But very few receive national spotlight. Ultimately, this isn't solely about race, it's about people. There are daughters and sons, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors who are missing. They aren't all pretty and blonde, 
They don't have a social media following, but their families deserve America's sympathy and news coverage. Their stories are no less important. That was deep as fuck. Thank you. I didn't write it. USA Today did, but, but that was, I paraphrased. I mean, geez. <laughs> I, there's no other there's no other thing that I could say that's better than that. I mean, it's 100% true. So, I think at the end of the day, we all just need to remember, treat others how you want to be treated. Yep. Be kind. It's not hard. It's free. Just FYI, in case yeah. anybody was wondering. It is free to be kind. Okay? Anything that you can do as far as helping advocate for certain foundations or anything like that. Lou does have a lot of information about certain foundations. If you are able to donate money, your time, anything at all, every little bit will help. Absolutely. I do have a lot of, of, uh, foundations that you can donate to, but there is one in particular that I do want to mention really quick. Um, it's called the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. They're located in Lame Deer, Montana. They have like an advocacy center on the website. They have awareness campaigns and you can also donate to them. Honestly, check their website out. I looked at it. I went through it. It's super cool. Um, they have things for people who want to support and donate. They have things for people, indigenous people or people seeking, you know, help. They have a lot of stuff. So I would definitely recommend that you just take a look at that website. Again, it's National Indigenous Women's Resource Center, the one in Lame Deer, Montana. The other, uh, foundations I will mention, um, in the show notes, uh, there's a lot, so it's probably just going to be a few, but if you just do a really quick Google research, Uh, research, Google search, you can find (laughs) countless organizations that you can donate to or, you know, try to, you know, kind of maybe even be a member of or like help advocate, whatever the case may be. Um, But I I did want to bring that one up because I really thought it was cool what their actual um, focus was and what they were aiming to do. But other than that, uh, we we went really deep into into this. Um, I... I'm glad we were able to go over it. Yep. And I hope that it it definitely raises awareness and helps people maybe spread the word, guys, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And again, I do want to say, I know we've said it before. I know we said it in the last episode. I know we've already said it in this episode. We are in no way, shape, or form taking away from anybody's case. Gabby Petito, anybody that we have mentioned. Exactly. We just had to use it as a comparison yeah, because for... it was very eye-opening. Like I said, I I I fell down that rabbit hole, okay? Yeah, she did. Gabby oh Petito, boom, boom, boom. And then all of a sudden, I started realizing and seeing articles, well, seeing articles and then realizing exactly what missing white woman syndrome was. Right. And then it made me kind of take a step back and realize damn, it is always yeah. a certain type of person that's on TV. Yeah. What about all these other people? So that's just what we're here. Equality, guys. Absolutely. Seven ten, May 5th. May 5th. <laughs> but anyway, thank you guys for hanging in there with us. Yeah. I hope we enlightened you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And if not, you feel free to do even more research because there's lots of research you can do. Um... But as always, you can give us a follow on Instagram 
at bitches and stitches pod. Or you can send us an email at biatches and stitches pod, B I A T C H E S, at gmail.com. I was about to say, if you don't know how to spell biatches and stitches pod at this point, then you, you really haven't been listening to us. I said that us. like three episodes ago. <laughs> I and know. You, you <laughs> made me spell it. Anyways, <laughs> if there's, or if there's anything that um, maybe we didn't go over and you kind of just want to give us some enlighten more, us. Enlighten us. Shit. Give us some more information. Shoot us an email. Shoot us an email. I'd be more than happy to read it. Direct message us on this. I'd be more than happy to even bring it up on our next podcast. Even if it has, you know, our next podcast is not going to have anything to do with what we've talked about these last two episodes, but I'll bring it up at the beginning. Like we'll shout you out. Absolutely. So thank you again for tuning in to another episode of bitches and stitches. Mm -hmm. I'm one of your hosts, Danielle. And I'm Lou. Yep, that's it. Okay, bye. Catch you on the motherfucking slip slide. Slip and slide. <laughs> bye.